here to you all. <clears throat> if you care to turn with me, please, to um, uh, Exodus chapter 15. Uh, as I knew the day was approaching and it was New Year's Day, I thought, oh, what's a, what's a good New Year's themed uh, subject? And, um, and my uh, thoughts came, well, not directly here, indirectly here, I suppose. Actually, maybe what we should do is start for a, a short reading over in chapter 12. You'll recognize this portion here as the as the um, as the beginning of the exodus of the children of Israel, um, and it was going to be a new new year for them. It wasn't just the new year; their year was actually being reordered for them, so that this month here is now the first month. So it was the very first new year, if you will, if I can say it that way, that the children of Israel had. And we'll just uh, point that out, reading Exodus chapter 12 here, and verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household, and so on. And uh, my point wasn't to go through the Passover here, but it's it's important to notice at least this, that uh, down in verse 12, it says, for I will pass through the land, this is the Lord will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. And I will execute judgment. I'm the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you. So we've skipped over the part where they take and kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and upper lintel. But that blood that's on those places uh, will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be a memorial and so on. Moving over into um, chapter 14, we come to the place where they camp beside the sea. You'll recall what happens is the destroying angel does go through the land. And all those who don't have the blood over their door, uh, the firstborn is, is lost there. They're destroyed. They're slain. And a great cry goes up in all of Egypt. And um, as a result of this, Pharaoh is more than a little upset, but he sends the children of Israel away, as God had told him to do. But reconsidering, he chases after them, and, and chapter 14 describes how that, uh, that the Lord himself goes between this army following and these poor slaves who are running 
and delivers them in a miraculous way. Notice chapter 14 and verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. <clears throat> the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Um, it tells how it happens down in verse 19. The angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other. So if you were on one side of God, it was dark. If you were on the other side, it was light. It's a good question. Which side are we on? Isn't it? <clears throat> um, and then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. He made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Shocking. They're, they're still driving them. It's getting tougher, but they're, they're pressing on. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots, and on their horsemen, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Verse 31, uh, verse 30 says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So all the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then chapter 15 begins what you might expect a pretty logical response. Uh, the song of Moses is sung here, the song of deliverance. When you turn to Revelation, you're going to find the song of Moses sung there again, by the way, because there's a great deliverance in a similar way to come. I don't know if you knew that. But the song's going to be sung yet again, and God's going to uh, be praised in a similar way because, says verse 1, He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. And, and Moses sings this. All the children of Israel uh, hear it. It ends in verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. And it's a glorious day. What a, what a way to start out a new year. They've got a new hope before them, you know. These are ones who had previously been slaves. 
building the cities of Pharaoh. They were under bondage for, well, 400 years. Ever since, in fact, the king, uh, the new king came in that didn't know Joseph. And he put them to hard labor. So much so that they couldn't even think about being delivered. And when somebody came with the idea of being delivered from this situation, uh, at first they thought it was a good idea, but it came at a price. And so they, they even turned on the person that, that brought the idea of deliverance. And so they've been, they've been given new freedom. They've been given a new master now. Instead of uh, serving the Pharaoh of the land, now they're serving the living God who's leading them through. They've got a whole new direction. Things are really looking up for the children of Israel. And so it brings us to this point that I want to read. Before I do, anybody here ever, have you made any resolutions this year that you're going to do something different, better? Everybody says no, because I've tried it and it doesn't work. You don't have to answer me, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh man, I just ate too many cookies over the holidays and I'm going to need to, I don't know, get back on the treadmill or... You know, we're going to start a a new dietary regiment or exercise regiment. Or maybe the spiritual minded is saying, I really need to get back to the Bible. Uh, I didn't read my Bible through this last year as some did. I started, you know, I got a few weeks, maybe a couple months into it. And then, I don't know, things came up, took me out of the way and I just couldn't keep it going. Uh, maybe uh, we've recognized in light of world events that prayer is, is an imminent need among the people of God and that they've uh, left it by and large and that we need to get back to it just like the uh, youth group was talking about this uh, as we opened up the subject of Daniel how that Daniel there he was having read through the scriptures of Jeremiah uh, discovered that the time was near, and so therefore, rather than sitting on his chair just waiting for God to do his thing, he committed himself to prayer. And that's really the, the place we want to be as, as a church. But what we have here is, is an interesting event that happens after really a pretty good start to the year, don't we? And I want to read from verses 22 to 27, and this will be our main uh, thought as we go this morning, because I have to ask myself this, what is it that keeps me from maintaining these changes I want to make? Bringing about real lasting change. How do I do that? So let's read. Uh, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitterness, as you know. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, 
If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I've brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Let's just ask the Lord to uh, bless and help us this morning as we think of this. Our Father in heaven, we do want to pause and ask you to open our eyes to understanding. These, uh, this ancient text here has been kept through the ages, and, and here we are able to look at it still once again and be taught of you. We pray that we might recognize in what has happened in the past the things that uh, we can do to be successful in our walk with thee. And so we just pray for help as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll notice that it goes without saying that the point that we've arrived at in verse 22 here is only because the blood was on the doors, on the doorposts there in the homes of the people that escaped. So what I'm about to go over this morning, really how our, our lives can have lasting change, is going to necessitate the fact that uh, we have first escaped the wrath to come. And so I want to challenge, I suppose, anybody here that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. You're not the child of God. You're not born again. You don't know for sure that you're going to heaven. That you want to think about that before anything else. And the reason is that there's a real judgment coming on the earth and on the gods of the earth, just like it was in Pharaoh's day. They worshipped everything but the living and true God. And they oppressed his people. And he said, let my people go. And they would not. But they made it harder and harder for them. And so the ones that believed the Lord put their trust in this, this blood that was shed, this, this lamb that is still observed today, yearly, in Israel, the Passover, which speaks of the lamb that was to come. And so in the Lord Jesus, we find the fulfillments of this, of course. And so the one who is putting their trust in the blood of Christ, we find that in the, the judgment to come, the Lord recognizing that they are in Christ, that they've been born again. He passes over them. That's the marvel of Passover. And more than just not judging you for the sins that you deserve, he actually extracts you out of that place then and separates between you know, that, that place of bondage and the place where he's taking you. And so they pass through the, the Red Sea there. And not only are your sins taken away, but your enemy is, is removed from the scene too. Isn't that marvelous? And so in that situation, that's what it means to be a Christian today. To have your sins forgiven and your enemy with no power over you. Because everything's been looked after. And yet, here we come, only three days after a pretty marvelous event. Only three days, and a difficult scene comes up. 
And I don't know how you found your walk as a Christian. But the amazing deliverance that you uh, enjoyed only a short time ago, it seems to have little impact on today when it gets tough, doesn't it? You ever find that or am I the only one with this problem? Well, the, the issue is not that my sins, which were paid for and God has forgotten them, or even the, the, my biggest enemy, the devil which walks about like a roaring lion seeking to devour me, is not even him. Do you know what? The problem is a lot closer than that. And the reason I struggle and stumble, and so do you, is really because of, well, you and me. And this is what we're going to find out here. The, the thing that we're, we're going to have to learn if we're going to uh, have a successful life and bringing about lasting change, is we're going to have to learn the lessons that, that Israel was learning in the wilderness here. So there's three things I want to look at in this passage here. And, um, and they are this. First of all, we need to have a complete understanding of why they were in the wilderness. Right? Sometimes... We might not think that our lives ought to be difficult now that we're believers in Christ. A lot of people, I, as people know here, I used to spend a bit of time visiting in the prisons. And there's something known as the jailhouse Christian. That is, somebody who believes, for convenience sake, what you're telling them while they're in jail. But quite honestly, as soon as they get out, they're right back to their old ways. They had... They really had no intention of, uh, of trusting the Lord completely. And they were just saying so because it seemed like a good idea to get rid of their problems, but they didn't want their sin removed. You know? And a lot of Christianity is like that. You know, they, people feel a, a sense of conviction. Something's not right here. And they put up their hand and they... Uh, answer some kind of a, an altar call or something, and and yet there's no real change in their life, and this can be a danger. So we need to go into our new belief with understanding. The Lord Jesus said that uh, they persecuted me; they're going to persecute you. So we're going to have troubles in this world. But even more than that, as we talked about in the first meeting this morning. The idea of God is much bigger than maybe you have for yourself. And he's trying to make you like his son. And that's the big goal. And that's what he said he's going to finish. He said he started and he's going to finish it. So we need to realize that the journey through the wilderness is necessary to make me like his son. Then secondly, uh, we need to realize that we need to have a full understanding of how God looks at things. All right? So as, as we turn on the news and listen to modern media, which seems to be bombarding us everywhere we go, we, we live in a propaganda machine. Anybody ever notice that? You can't turn anywhere without seeing a, a sign or hearing a song or somebody putting out a new idea that when compared to the scriptures is just wrong. And the problem is we'll start to believe that it's so. 
So that's the second thing. We need to have a proper understanding of how God looks at things. And then the third thing is to realize just how much I've actually been affected because I've lived in Egypt for so long. I don't know when you were saved. But I know for myself that it wasn't until I was 24 years old. And after 24 years of walking around Egypt in bondage, enjoying every minute of it, I told myself, of course, but the the reality was that it leaves an, an effect. You, you carry things with you that you've seen, that you've heard, that you've done. Sometimes you carry things along you didn't do yourself at all. It, it happened to you. You were born with a couple of strikes against you. You know, you, you grew up in a difficult environment. You didn't choose it. I mean, these, after all, were, were slaves of slaves. They were there for several generations, all they knew. They're brought out of there, and they need to realize just just how uh, bad off they really are and to allow the Lord to heal them, it says there. So those are three things we're going to look at. So first of all, then, uh, a complete understanding of, of why the wilderness. Obviously, when someone trusts the Lord, they're not taken right to heaven. For some good reasons, probably right. First of all, (laughs) the purpose for uh, people trusting the Lord is so that the Lord can be vindicated on the earth. You know, if you're a Christian here today, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And God's intending to use you to glorify him. That is, your life here is going to... Um, represent him. People are going to see you and think of him. That's his big plan. Is that what they think when they see you? It says, you'll be living epistles known and read of all men. People don't read the Bible, but they see you every day. And as they know who you represent, they'll start to think about him too. Marvelous that God would uh, do it that way. You'd, you'd think there's got to be a better way. He says, no, this is, this is exactly the plan. And so he, uh, he brings us into the wilderness for the sake of, like, through this difficult desert journey of ours, so that we can be a witness to those that don't know the Lord. Now, there's going to be some training involved, of course. Uh, secondly, we're, we're here and not immediately to heaven because the idea is to help one another out. Right? He says, people will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so we're here for each other also. And uh, the last thing and the most important thing is this. The reason we are here walking through a difficult desert journey is so that we can know the Lord better. You see the illustration that's given here. He brings them to a place. It's only been three days. And the place that he brings them at, says verse 22, has no water. Well, no drinkable water anyway. Uh, And when they came to Marah, the name means bitterness there, um, we find that the water, whatever was wrong with it, was not in a drinkable state. And the question is, 
So the question might be, what are you doing bringing us here? In fact, that was the question, wasn't it? It says in verse 24 that the people complained against Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? Now, the Lord brings us into a desert for the purpose of helping us to see what he's like. And the very first stop is a place where there's nothing to drink. He's promised to care for them, to look after them. He says, we're going to the promised land. We were only three days into it. And we might start to think this if we're a new Christian, you know. We come into this this new life and we think, this is all great. And then all of a sudden we find out, you know, it's not, it's not that great. You know, I'm, I'm out here in the wilderness. I'm alone. It's, it's hot. The way is hard. There's, there's nothing to drink here. I'm, I'm parched. What should we do if we find ourselves like that? Well, in this case, they go to Moses and complain. And one of the things that, that we have happening here is, is that our true self is exposed. We're kind of chronic complainers. As a matter of fact, when they were in Egypt, you know, they, they blamed the king. You know, things are hard. And then when Moses showed up and things got harder, well, then they blamed Moses. And now they're out here and it's still Moses' fault. You ever notice whose fault it's not? It's never their own fault. You don't know anybody like that, right? Well, this is really what we're like. And so out comes in this hard situation a little glimpse of our true self. Doesn't it? And so what does Moses do? He goes to, to the Lord and the Lord, it says, um, verse 25, it says, the Lord showed him a tree. Well, we don't have to guess what this could mean, do we? Where do we go when there's nothing to drink? When the way is hard, when things seem difficult and God's not going to be able to do? Moses would say, and I'll tell you today, you need to go and look at the tree again. There's a tree, says Isaiah. It's a, it's a tender plant that grew up before him. A root out of the dry ground. No form or comeliness. When we see him, we will not desire him. This, this is the one, it says, who would carry our griefs and bear our sorrows. The Lord Jesus, right? And so, so even in this early stage, we see that the tree is there, and the tree, if it's cut down and thrown into the, the water, makes it drinkable. So that as difficult as this world seems, if I keep my eye on this tree, if I consider the Lord Jesus in the things that I'm doing, I will find that, that I will have water everywhere I go. And the whole point is that the trial brings me closer to him. You know, when you first are saved, what do you know about the Lord Jesus, really? Right? Oh, yeah, well, there's some blood. I remember the blood. Um, there, was, uh, there was kind of a great escape. There was death involved. Uh, there was a cross. What else do we know? Not much right at the beginning. We just know we're saved. Well, the wilderness journey has this purpose in that through it, we're going to learn far more about him than we thought was there. So we're going to learn that not only is he uh, able to make our walk sweet, 
But we're also going to learn that, well, he provides water where there isn't water at all. That, that the rock was, would be stricken. This would be a lesson in the, in the wilderness too. The rock would be stricken. And then we were going to learn that the rock would provide water if we speak to it. Speaking of his, his high priestly ministry. We're going to learn that he's like the captain that leads us into battle. Uh, we're going to learn that he's like the serpent lifted up on the pole. And anybody that looks will live. We're going to find out that as we look at that, why a serpent? Well, we're going to see that he was made to be sin for us. He who knew no sin. That we'd be the righteousness of God. I'll tell you what. The wilderness journey is critical for this. That you learn who the Lord is. And without it, well, without it, it's, it's nothing, right? You get on into heaven, I suppose, and you'd never know why you're there. You look around, you wouldn't even recognize him. But because he's taken us this way, uh, that's going to be the main goal. Um, so, so the second thing, I guess the, the conclusion of that point, by the way, is this. That sometimes our resolutions for the new year don't anticipate problems coming up. Right? I mean, why, why do we not get through our Bible? Because some difficulty come in and I had to put the Bible down to deal with the difficulty. And and he says, no, difficulty, number the tree. Oh, I picked the Bible up in the difficulty. That's how it works. Right? And so this is it. Our our resolutions don't work because we don't consider why we're in this. That it's to bring us closer to God, not push, it, push us away. So the second one again um, was we need a complete understanding about just how bad our views are. And we find this here when Moses sets about a, uh, an ordinance, says the end of verse 25. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. So Moses says to him right away, this is what you're going to need to do. If there's going to be any hope, I don't suppose they know just how long they're going to wander around yet in the wilderness. How long this is going to be, but however long it's going to be, we're going to need this. It says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in his sight, and you give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I've brought on the Egyptians. The idea is that he's going to provide for them instructions. Instructions that are going to be key to walk in this world because... Well, here's, here's a good verse. Turn, turn to Jeremiah 2 for a second. Man is notorious for trying to solve his own problems rather than seeing what God's view of things are. God's view of things is, I should say. All right, that's what we read here. We need to do what's right in his sight. The condemnation in the time of the judges was this, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The end of Isaiah 53 says, they've all gone astray, everyone turned to his own way. This is our problem. And what we find here is, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he says, my people have committed two evils. So when we put our own plan in place, and not the Lord's plan, we've committed two crimes, it says. It says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, 
So they've, they've turned from where the water was and they've hewn out their own cisterns, you know. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make a cistern and I'll catch the water and that way I don't have to go back every time. I'll just, I'll just have it here uh, left over, so to speak, right? And he says the problem with that is your cisterns, folks. They don't hold water. It says they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, all this to say, how critical is it to weigh our, um, our uh, resolutions, our plans, our steps in this coming year against the Word of God? Uh, we're going to have to know the Word of God to do it. I think it's a pretty wise thing to pour over it day by day, to spend time with the Lord. You know what it says in um, Psalm 1? It says, the one who, uh, what is it, but he who delights, oh, let's turn to it, unless I, unless I misquote it here. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. You know, that's, that's the person that joins with the rest of the crew and points to Moses and says, look what you've done, you've brought us out here. Sitting in the seat, eh? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. I'll get there soon. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he'll be like a tree himself, planted by the rivers of water, and he'll bring forth his fruit in his season. Is that right? I think I got it without finding the verse. So the idea is, here we are, um, supposedly planted by this fountain of water, the, the living water, so that we actually become a conduit where the blessing flows to others. And so that's, the, um, that's one of the main points about knowing the Word of God, having a God's view of things. And this is why propaganda is so uh, concerning to me. If I hear on media, the kinds of things I'm supposed to uh, think and believe about, I don't know, governments. They, they say all kinds of things about governments on, on the news, don't they? Uh, only what corresponds to the scriptures is true. Okay, All the opinions, and everybody's got an answer, and they argue about which answer is right. You know the truth, nobody's got it right yet. And the one that's going to get it right is the Lord Jesus. And I'm so glad that he's the one I'm looking for. And that's why we're looking here to his ordinances. So that when, when he puts things in place, I'll be able to be on the right team. Right? It'll already be in, in my mind. We need to make sure that our resolutions are this. That we want to align ourselves with God's will. Alright, let's turn to the, uh, or consider the last one here for a second. And that's this, that it's uh, at the end of verse 26. <clears throat> we have to have a recognition of how, how serious sin affects us, has affected us, and does affect us. It says here in the end of verse 26 that, For I am the Lord who heals you. You should notice it doesn't say who healed you. It's an ongoing process. This is 
the process of sanctification. We, we are not sinless yet. He's in the process of making us perfect. But we need Him day by day to accomplish this task. And one of the things that um, is very difficult is when we see in ourselves or in others lack of progress. And sometimes we wonder whether we're saved at all. Sometimes we wonder if somebody else is saved at all. And the difficulty here is that we're all a work in progress. Rather than making a resolution where I'm going to fix these things that are known to me about myself, is that I'm going to resolve to, like the, like the New Testament reminds us, to exhort one another daily. To lift up the hands that hang down. To look for the people that are discouraged. And the reason I say that is because instead of having a self-view, I'm rather going to be somebody who's used of the Lord to help others. And in so doing, it will have a cleansing effect in my own life. For I know that I must first remove the beam you know, from my own eye before I can move the speck out of my brother's eye. And so if I go along and I say, well, I'm going to look, I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other. It's all going to fall apart again, as it did last year, unless I can recognize these three things. Once the, the difficulties in the journey are for a reason, to help me to see who the Lord really is. Every day you should learn something new about the Lord. He should be a little bigger. His, his, uh, his glory is a little more glorious. Every day we should uh, recognize that, um, that the scriptures are the things that are going to keep us walking the right. And not to be um, impacted by those things that are without. Stick to the scriptures for all of our direction. Says of those that they um, I'm trying to jump in the middle of the verse, thinking of Second uh, Timothy uh, three. All scriptures inspired, uh, given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. The scriptures, and then the last thing here, the fact that it's the Lord that heals me, and I need to. Um, I'm mindful of that story in Luke chapter seven, where there was a man named Simon, and he didn't have a real grasp of how much he'd been forgiven. This was the issue. A sinful woman came in, and they said, "If he were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him." The reality is, the Lord Jesus knows about each one of us, and He allows us to come near. And as the rest look on and say, oh, they're not clean enough. They're missing the point. So as we recognize that we are in a process of healing, of sanctification, it will give us grace to help others. These are the things that, that will help us be successful and bring in lasting change. You'll notice verse 27 says, in the end of it, the Lord's bringing us to a lovely place. It's a place where there's wells of water, palm trees, and there they'll camp. We got a, few, a bright future ahead of us. 
So let's um, make this new year the best one yet as we continue to grow. I wonder if we can sing together in closing. Number 476. All the way my Savior leads me. you for uh, the fact that your intention is to lead us all the way to that promised land, uh, a place where flows milk and honey. And we thank you that it's not there that we get to uh, meet the Savior first, but here we get to meet him. We thank you that he comes and meets the person in their need and their sin, delighting and desiring to Deliver them, for he has wrought a great work at Calvary's cross. And then to lead us together through the, this uh, dusty land, providing uh, rest, nourishment, protection, and guidance all the way through. We think of the, that tabernacle that they carried those years through the wilderness and how you, uh, in the uh, very center of the camp, were there with them. Um, we wonder at this only to know that uh, here you are with us in a far 
greater way, dwelling in the very believer himself. Uh, what a mystery this is. Christ in you, the hope of glory, it says. And so we just pray, Father, in this new year, we might uh, be more sold out for Thee, committed to recognizing You are our Master, we are not our own. And so we ask You, continue to lead. Uh, use us in any way You would. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.